Welcome to the Water and Stone podcast. You are listening to episode number 151, our Sunday worship service for February 2nd, 2020 is Be Welcome. It is the fifth in the series Legendary Life, inspired by the Beatitudes. Life is full of opportunities to bless, heal, and help. Fulfillment comes when we move into those moments with love. So our scripture today is Matthew 5, 7. Let's say it together, if you can see it together. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, little spoiler, it's going to start really, really simple and straightforward, and then it's going to get really, really complicated, but it's going to end up being simple and straightforward again, so don't worry. It's a roller coaster. It's a good one today. You know about the mercy thing. You've heard it before. It's kind of a hallmark situation. You've heard that one. And you know, because you know who we're talking about and who said it, that we're being called to do something. You know that mercy is not the same thing as pity. You know that mercy is not the least bit passive. You know that mercy has nothing to do with feeling sorry for somebody, no matter what you've heard before. You know better, right? Mercy means something different. So we know that. We know that we're being challenged. And one of the things that we say a lot around here is we are challenged not just to tolerate people who are different because you don't tolerate something you love. We are called upon not just to tolerate people who are different, but rather to celebrate that. Remember last week we talked about the idea that that everything in the universe, physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, anything, starts small and expands outward into the universe. We talked about that last week, and so this is an extension of that idea. There is one presence and one power. There is just God. But we are called upon. In this of the Beatitudes about mercy, we are called upon to celebrate spirit happening in all kinds of different disguises. That's what we're talking about here. So part of it is, can you look past appearances? This is the old message. We know about this. This is what mercy is about. It's about that challenge. And it's an interesting thing because, as you know, we talked about before, Given the way that Bible translations work, there's a lot of different words. As we read some of the other Beatitudes, if you were here for some of the previous services, you noticed that some of the words like meek, you think of the blessed are the meek. Remember we talked about the idea that not everybody uses the word meek, for example. And if you go to Barnes & Noble or Haslam's or whatever, and you look at all of the different Bible translations, there's a great website called Bible Hub. And you can see all the different Bible translations and maybe you'll be surprised or maybe you've been there before and you know that so many of the words are very different. And you know why? It's because we don't all have the same words in in different languages. There are words in English that they don't have the same word for in French or Greek or Latin or whatever. In Aramaic, right? And it works that way. And so, as you know, the job of a translator is to really, really understand how the language works and really, really understand how the history works and really, really understand all of the physical part of that, the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts part of it. But past a certain point, the job of a translator is to go, what do I think they felt? What's the feeling they were trying to put into words? And now, how do I put that feeling into words in this other language? That's the, the goal 
of a translator. And so you have so many different words for things all throughout the Bible. And it doesn't mean that one translation is better than others. It doesn't work that way. That's why I always say, just read whatever Bible you got. The one you, you got from grandma, the one you stole from the hotel room, the one wherever. Just use that one. That's fine. It's interesting to see all the different words, but the thing I want you to know today is despite the fact that even in the Beatitudes, there's a lot of different words used in this one, in this one, almost 100% of the Bible translations, almost all of them use the word mercy. It is amazing to me how universal this one word is. It's so powerful and so special that it's used everywhere. This is interesting. Everyone for once about Bible stuff. Who can agree about anything with Bible stuff? For once, they agree on this one word. It must mean something pretty darn important. But like I said, we're going to start simple and straightforward. You know this. We're talking about Jesus stuff. (laughs) Of course, mercy comes up. Mercy's kind of his thing. The gospel, the teachings, the life of Jesus Christ have to do with all kinds of things, but the things that we come back to are two. Outrageous love and radical mercy. We talk about that all the time, right? That's the, the, the cornerstone of the whole thing. The gospel, according to Matthew, where we're getting these beatitudes, is very, uh, very fixed on the concept of mercy. It's in there over and over and over and over and over again. Mercy, mercy, mercy. This is important. There's even a song, but I don't think it's about the same thing. It's, it's there. So this is not a surprise. But what might be a little bit more surprising and interesting something that some folks haven't thought of before is think about the times in your life when you have used that word outside of church, outside of Bible and Jesus stuff, let's say. Think about the times you have used the word mercy in your life. When we think about mercy, generally speaking, what we are thinking about is something that a strong person is being asked to give to a weak person. When the giant hovers over you with the big club, you say, mercy! Don't abuse your bullying power over me. Show me mercy. Don't use the strength you have to hurt me because I'm nothing and you're everything. Traditionally, typically, when we think of the word mercy, it's often delivered from a position of strength to a position of weakness, right? Well, that that doesn't match anything that we just got done talking about. We talked about blessed are the meek for Pete's sake. Or I guess for Matthew's sake. Thank you. Thank you. The slow burner. But it doesn't match. And this is important because there's a, a, there's a concept in Christianity that you can use it to justify bullying behavior, but it doesn't match what we know, right? So maybe, just maybe, this concept of mercy means something different than we think it means. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to dig a little bit deeper. Maybe, just maybe, we're going to turn a corner and go from the very straightforward into something a little bit deeper. Maybe that word doesn't mean what folks think it means. So let's get into it. The word mercy, you ready for this? The word mercy comes from the old French. You ever heard someone say, merci, merci? Boy, I'm butchering my pronunciation, but I'm still early on in my Duolingo studies. Um, But, you know, it means thank you, right? You've heard someone say, merci beaucoup, you know, whatever. Did I just take you right to Paris right then? Um, It means thank you. 
Literally, the word means you have shown me grace. You know that grace and the word gratitude have a same root, right? So I'm saying thank you, not for a thing you did, not because you finally decided to stop hurting me, (laughs) let's say, but rather thank you because you have shown me grace. In other words, you have shown me a little moment, a little nugget, a little second of how God is. That's what grace means, right? That's what mercy means. All of a sudden we realize that, that, that mercy has nothing to do with uh, strength down to weakness and it has everything to do with you opened a window and I saw love. That's why it's a beatitude. That's why it's important. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy is not about, hey guys, we really ought to stop picking on each other, although that's important too. What Jesus is talking about there is, blessed are those who can get out of God's way. Blessed are those who can open a little bit of window, a window so that when you see them, you look through them and you see God happening. That's what's being asked for. Blessed are they who can show people what God looks like, how God feels. So as you work through mercy in your life, as you try to figure out how to live up to this beatitude, maybe a good place to start is ask yourself, what am I showing people? Because the word means you have shown me grace. What am I showing people? And honestly, maybe a place to start is, What have I been shown? There's people in this room. There's people watching on the internet and all that. There's people standing here with a microphone that have been through all kinds of stuff. We've been shown things maybe we don't want to see, things you can't unsee. I get it. We've all been there. We've all got stories. And we're all here to heal. And that's beautiful. You're in a safe place. What have you been shown? Because when you think about it, everything you have ever learned is something that you got shown in one way or another. You were shown a thing. It's the process. There's two steps. You were shown something, and some part of you in your brain, in your heart, decided that it was important enough to put it in the hard drive. Both of those things have to happen. The demonstration and the agreement. This is kind of how learning works, boys and girls you got to have both because you've seen all kinds of things that you can't remember. I don't know where the spatulas go in our kitchen. I don't, and I've lived there a long time. I'm sorry. You have been shown all kinds of things, positive and negative. As you've heard me say before, there were people who hung out with Jesus and didn't get it. So it's not just about what you've been shown. It's also about whether or not you decide it's important. There's the outer demonstration and the inner agreement. You can agree with stuff and not see it. It's kind of like having book learning, but no application. You've got to have both, the outer and the inner. You've got to have the outer demonstration and the inner agreement. It's one of the reasons why Jesus taught in parables a lot. Because he would say, I'm going to show you something and tell you something that you have no concept of, no experience of. I'm going to talk about God things, big, giant, amazing things that maybe we've never talked about before, but I'm going to relate them to something that you know very well. That's what a parable is. The concept of, for example, the kingdom of God. Maybe people don't have a clear concept of how God works. That's why Jesus was talking to them. But they knew about kingdoms. They were in one. So I'm going to take a thing that you know and can agree with and show you something from somewhere else. This is how learning works. 
But the problem with that is where the agreement happens. Because if you go, okay, kingdom of God, but you know what? I don't like kings, they're mean. It's very easy to go from there into a concept of God who you don't want to hang out with. Has that been done in the history of religiosity? You bet. Right? Does it continue to happen? Sure it does. So ask yourself, if there's something that you know, something that you have learned, and you don't like it, ask yourself where the level of agreement is. Can you uplift your idea of it? This is important, and this is interesting, because it's fair to say that on some level or another, everything that you do is your impression of something you saw. That's a short way of saying that long thing that I just said. In one way or another, everything you do is an impression of something that you saw somewhere. When our kids were small, they'd come out wearing daddy's shoes, you know. They're doing their impression of me, their impression of you. It's, it's that thing, and it's adorable. I love that moment, that validation, that connection. But they're not me. So there's something being missed there. Do you see what I'm saying? It's my kid's impression of me. It's not me. If you know me, you know I'm kind of a nerdy guy. I've got computer stuff. I always have. And when my daughter, who's now 97, was five, you're just so big now, honey. I can't handle it. Um, when you were five, this was a long time ago, I, I had nerded up a computer to where I could talk to it. You know, now everybody talks to their phones, and, and I could say, Hey, Siri, and everybody who's playing this on their podcast, their phone's now doing a weird thing. Sorry about that, but not sorry. Um, but I had nerded up a computer to where I could say, tell me a joke, and the computer would tell me a knock-knock joke. So it, it was silly. It was my equivalent of fetch rover, roll over. And it didn't work very well because it was a long time ago, 20 years ago. You know, think about that. But I was so proud of my nerdiness. But what I didn't know is when I wasn't around, my daughter would get up in front of the computer and go, tell me a joke. She would do her impression of me. But it didn't work because it was really keyed into me. Tell me a joke. What's the weather going to be like? A little kid's impression. But it didn't work. And I say that because I have to tell you that a lot of the, the challenges that people face, a lot of the problems that people have is they're doing a bad impression of something that they don't need to repeat anymore. And there's a reason why it doesn't work. Because it's not you. It's something you saw somebody else do and you are allowed to quit doing it. This is really important. There are so many people that say, well, you know, I grew up in a family where everybody was, name your dysfunction. Super into disco. And so I can't help it. <laughs> you knew I was going to go there, right? There's a 12-step group. The first step is to admit you have platforms. But anyway, sometimes he digs a hole and you got to wait to see what happens. Anyway, but there are people who are doing their impression and they think they have to. But I want you to know that you are allowed to love and honor and respect without repeating the negative parts of what you saw. This is a big deal. People go, well, I have to be this way because my dad was that way or my mom was that way. Well, no, you don't. I know that there is a commandment about honor your father and mother. I've read it too. But ask yourself, does honor mean when I see you, I see the worst parts of you and I repeat the worst parts of you? Boys and girls, I've had some bad days 
And I don't need those to be thrown up in my face every time I see somebody. You know what I mean? Honoring your father and your mother, honoring somebody you love, is not about rehashing the weird drama and the dysfunction and the addiction and the who knows what. That's not honoring. When I honor you, what I'm saying is I uphold and I imitate the best in you. And it also means I refuse to let hurtful stuff continue. Sometimes honoring your parents is this stops with me. That's honor. Jesus made it a little bit more clear, perhaps, when he said, they who do the will of God are my brother and my sister and my father and my mother. In other words, it's not about biology. It's not even about uh, uh, that kind of behavior pattern stuff that you get in a psychology book. It's about where's your heart? Are you doing the will of God? Are you trying to be better? That's family. And we're going to build from there. And we're going to repeat those behavioral patterns. And we're going to do that. We're going to decide what's important. And we're going to decide what we deserve. And that's a big deal. Because here's your moment of review. I have said many times that prayer, doesn't matter where you got your prayer. Doesn't matter if you got it in the Bible. If you climbed a mountaintop and, and someone dressed in an interesting outfit, gave it to you. It doesn't matter if it came to you in a moment of silence. It doesn't matter if you got it off a bazooka gum wrapper. It doesn't matter where the prayer came from. By the way, I want that gum. Um, Prayer, yeah, in my spare time, I'll get that going. Anyway, prayer only works based on two things. Remember this? Prayer only works based on how big your concept of God is and how worthy you think you are. That's it. If you think, you know what, I'm ready for a healing. I got this. I deserve this. I work hard and I love people and I really am coming from a pure place of egoless beauty. But God doesn't like me and God can't do it. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter what you're praying about. It doesn't matter where you got your prayer. By the same token, if you've got this big, beautiful idea of God and you think you're nothing, there's no room for a miracle in that heart. You need both things. And I say that to remind you of that because once again, this is 101 level stuff. But I say it in the context of mercy because you are doing, here's the thing to write down, you are doing your impression of God right now. The way you behave, the way you act and think and treat other people, what you see when you look in the mirror, I know that seems like a big deal, but, you know, life's kind of a big deal. You're doing your impression of God. They who hate are they who feel unloved. You can't have hate if you really feel love, for example. You're doing your impression of God. And if you walk around bullying other people, treating other people poorly, deep down, your concept of the ultimate concern is not very big. You think God thinks that. Most people aren't connected with that truth, but it is the truth. So here's the deal. If you want a better life, if you want to figure this out, if you want your prayers to start working, instead of just being fortune cookie fortunes, if you want this to work, here are the words to remember. Reform your God thought. Reform your God thought. Get a bigger idea about who and what God is. Start there. Can your God be big enough to just love you? (laughs) It's amazing how many people can't go there. We'll get there. Reform your God thought. And then do something about it. That's the big deal. 
But you know that, you know, we talk about it all the time. Be the miracle, be what God looks like in the world. Every week I say, go show the world what love looks like, all of that. Go be it. You know that in this beatitude itself, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Sounds a little bit like the golden rule. Do unto others first, right? This is kind of a Jesus pattern. Go do the thing. Don't wait for validation. Validation is a byproduct. It comes afterwards. Go do the thing. Go act into the world. And Jesus is original in a lot of ways. It's one of the reasons that we are Christians. We believe he's got a a special gift unique to what he said and did. But this idea of proactivity is not unique. It's all over the Old Testament. The idea that is central in the Old Testament, for example, is welcome the stranger when they come to you and you don't know where they're from or what, they, what they've been through or what they got going on or how they speak or what their customs are. The, the children of Israel concept is we have been strangers everywhere we go. And so we welcome the stranger. This is what Jesus grew up with. And most of the people he, were, he was talking to grew up with that too. Welcome the stranger. It's everywhere in the Old Testament. Jesus and the Christians took that in, in, a, in, a, in another direction too when they said, you know what, it's not just an outer thing where come on in, we've got dip. Important. And I guess today is a good dip day, isn't it? Didn't even know I was going to do that. That's as far as I go with organized sports is there's dip involved. Anyway, there's this concept that wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The idea that one plus one equals infinity. That God is happening there. Think of it. It's, it's magical. The idea of this, this body of Christ concept that together we make more than the component parts. And when they would gather with this idea of body of Christ before they prayed, before they said anything like that, they said, is anybody hungry? Let's get you fed. Let's get you taken care of. Is anybody sick? Does anybody need patching up? Everybody good? Now we pray. That's what they did. Because God takes care of me, so I take care of others. That's what mercy looks like. You have shown me grace because you get grace. Are you making room for God in your life because it's the only way to get healing and it's the only way to change the world? And that's what we're here to do, right? That's the deal. You know, last week we talked about the idea that grace is unearned. Remember we talked about this last week? Grace is unearned. And I'll bring it up again because I really want to drive that point home. You don't earn God's grace. It's not because you're not worthy and God's just such a nice guy that he doesn't mind that you're yucky. Some people go there, theologically speaking. Maybe they use different words. Maybe they don't. But that's not it. Grace is unearned simply because God just does it. Just like the sun doesn't give dark some days. Right? You don't earn gravity. It just happens. That's like how grace works. That's it. You don't earn air. Air happens. That's how grace works. The grace of God is unearned and it shines on every one of us equally. That's what it says in the Bible. I didn't make that up. You know that. You've heard it before. You heard me say it in one way or another last week. We talk about it all the time. Here's why I'm bringing it up now. If the grace of God is unearned and it is given to everyone equally, maybe I'm wasting my time if I spend all of my time thinking about who deserves my good, who deserves my love, and who deserves my anger. Does that make sense? 
Because here's what I want you to know. Everyone deserves your best. Everyone deserves your love. Everyone deserves your truth and your honesty. God's grace shines down on everyone. Can you shine on your life, even to those that you dislike and you don't agree with? It's the only way we're going to get over a lot of the stuff that we've been chewing on since the Bronze Age, guys. It's time. I'm tired of it, aren't you? We need to have other stuff going on in the news, you know? Everyone deserves your love. That's just the deal. I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. Now, does that mean that everyone deserves my dysfunction? No, that ain't love. Does it mean that I should just love everybody and that means they get to keep doing these terrible things? That ain't love. That ain't honor, is it? Love demands the truth. That's part of it. Everyone deserves you going, no, honey, we're not doing that. That's not good anymore. Love brings up, right? But to put a, put a, a little bit finer point on it, when I go downtown and there's somebody there with a cup and they want money, when I stop at the stoplight or whatever and they've got the sign that says homeless, hungry, God bless. One time I was in San Francisco walking and a guy had a sign that just said, hi. He got my change, by the way. But, or somebody walks you up to you in the parking lot and they say the thing you've heard so many times before, hey, you know what, I just need bus fare to get back to the thing, and you've heard the same script. I am not saying that it is always the right thing to do to give that person money. I'm not saying that. You and I know that sometimes that helps bad things happen. I get it. It continues to support dysfunctional. I'm not saying it's always the right thing to do. But here is always the wrong thing to do. You ready? The wrong thing to do is pretend like they don't exist. The wrong thing to do is to not look them in the eye. You know, it's the wrong kind of denial. It's the wrong kind of magical thinking. If I go, you know, if I, look, if I don't look at you, you won't be there, right? And think about what that does culturally. What happens when, when a person says to another person with their body language, I just assume you not exist. We've got to quit that. Whether or not you feel led to give the money or whatever, because like I said, it's not always the right thing to do. Whether or not you feel led to give the money to pay the bus fare or not, you look that person in the eye. Do it for me. I'm asking a favor. Treat them like a human being. That's all. You'll know what to do after that. If you go, wait a minute, God's grace shines on you just like on me. I've had moments where I felt really blessed and I've had moments where not so much. And maybe you're having one of those now. But what I do is I see you as a child of God just like me. The concept of welcoming the stranger, the concept of body of Christ has to do with the idea that there's no them, there's just us. That's it. That's what mercy looks like. Put another way, how does God see that person? Do you have a small God that sees that person as no good? Reform your God thought. You're not going to get healed until you do. Bigger ideas mean a bigger experience. That's how it works. You are called upon to see that person as God sees them. And then you'll know what to do next in that situation. You're called upon to love them like God loves them. Look, we've all got goals. Everybody wants to write the great American novel or quit their job or get the big car or win the lottery or, or confront that thing or run away from that thing or do that great, great, big, wonderful thing that the whole world is going to stand up and applaud. Everybody wants some version of that. And I want you to know that I want that for you too. You're in a room full of people who are cheering you on. All you got to do is share whatever it is that you're working on and someone in this room will help you 
It's amazing. I've seen it happen. It's cool. Proud of this family. But you know, before you win the Super Bowl or write the novel or do the thing, are you showing grace? There are prerequisites to the big miracles. It's mustard seed time, you know? There are prerequisites. Can you see God working in your life? Can you open yourself up to grace? And most importantly, can you get out of the way enough to where grace can shine through what you do? Can you be pure in that way? Blessed are you who show mercy. That's what it means. For, our, for us from now on, mercy is not a passive thing where if I see somebody who's weak, I will pity them. When I drive by the car accident, I'll go, I'm showing mercy because, oh, I'm sorry that happened. That ain't it. I mean, that's a start, I guess, but that's not it. Blessed are those who can show some grace. What has God shown you? I know other people have shown you all kinds of things and maybe some things you don't want. What has God shown you? Based on that, what can you show somebody else? That's what you're here to do. You are here to heal and bless and overcome. You are here to challenge and love out loud. You are here to be honest and you are here to be free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do, based on what you've heard, can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.